0: Church, we're thankful for everyone who's come, young and old. And we're particularly thankful that our brother Dave Weekend, a minister, retired elder from our church in Champaign, has agreed to be with us tonight for family night to have a topical lesson. His topic is going to center around history really, history of the early church. There's always, you know, in the worldly sense, there's a lot we can learn from history. In a spiritual sense, that's really what the Bible is, too. And in one sense, isn't it? We can learn from it. But we just trust that God will provide for us through Brother Dave uh, as he speaks to us tonight. So we're going to ask him to open in prayer and then go into his lesson.
1: Let's kneel and pray together. Father, as we come into the holiness of thy presence, with the words of the song still in our heart and in our mind, we thank thee for the glimpse we have of thy goodness, thy holiness, and thy love, and ask thee to help us that this can remain with us throughout our evening together, that thy name can be hallowed, for it is for this purpose we have come together this evening to give thee honor and glory and praise for Thou art worthy. We thank Thee that Thou hast revealed Thy love to us in Jesus Christ, and this love is offered to all men who look unto Thee in repentance and to Christ in faith. We thank Thee that we can come before Thee with peace in heart, the knowledge our sins are forgiven, and the hope of a home in heaven. We thank Thee, dear Father, that today has been a day of grace. When thy mercy is offered to all mankind, and help us to be wise unto salvation, and use the days which thou hast given unto us wisely. Thankful for the beautiful weather. The blossoms and the birds and all the things we see speak to us of the presence of spring and the promise of summer. Help us to be aware and realize thy fatherly presence always around about us also. To walk in the presence of thy holiness and thy love and by thy grace doing what we can that thy will can be done here upon the earth even as done in heaven we thank thee for this evening when we can gather together in thy house we pray that through the prompting of the spirit and the content of our hearts that we can be blessed by thee this evening For thou art the one who doth bless us, and with thee it's a small thing to bless, but with us it would mean so much. Bless thy children and people who gather here from time to time, and all who live in this community, that they can recognize thy greatness and come to know and love thee. Be with each one of us to walk as thy people here upon the earth. And bless this assembly, each one in their separate needs. Bless those that have burdens to carry for some of thy children, dear Father. Find loads which are heavy, but thy grace is sufficient. Bless all who are alone. Bless those who are yet in the midst of a great number of people and feel alone. For thou art faithful. We have thy promise in the word. Thou will never leave us nor forsake us. Help us to do our part. That again thy will can be done. Now prepare our hearts. Help us to read a few words from thy holy Bible together that it can speak to us. And as we consider the beginnings of the faith here upon the earth and how those who went before us lived, help us to learn from it and help us to use it in our life. Thanks for the evening. Thanks for health and strength. Above all, thanks for Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. you'd open your Bibles, we could read together just a few verses in 1st John. In the first chapter, let's read together the first four verses in 1st John. They were writing about, John was writing about something that was just breathtaking. He had been present with the only begotten Son of God. The time we're going to speak of this evening is the first 200 years from up until 200 A.D. And there were people alive in 200 A.D. that could say, I talked to somebody who talked to the apostles. Polycarp was the Elder or bishop, the word is synonymous. The elder of Smyrna, and he taught someone, and Polycarp was taught by John, the one who wrote this. And so up to 280, there were people here upon the earth that could say, I talked to somebody that talked the apostles. And we can talk to somebody too, through the Holy Spirit. So let's read the first four verses in First John chapter 1 that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen, and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. And this was the message that the early apostles brought. We bring an offer as apostles of Jesus Christ, and we do the same thing today. And this is one thing we may learn this evening from looking at the early church, things really have not changed in the most serious and in the inner part. The same things are offered to us as the early church had. We can go to anyone with an offer of turn to God in repentance and to Christ in faith and he will give unto you eternal life. And this eternal life is fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. And if I am in fellowship with God and you are in fellowship with God, we are in fellowship, you notice in this verse, with one another. It is impossible for me to be in fellowship with God completely and without anything between us and not be in fellowship with you. In fact, that's a good test. You find out how close you are to God by seeing how close you are to your brothers and sisters and how much you love Him by how much you want to help your brothers and sisters and neighbors and friends. So we have eternal life, fellowship with God, and joy. I'm really thankful that Brother Charles asked me to do a little work on this, the early church, because as I read that, I became more and more encouraged with what we have today, what God gives us today, because we have the same opportunities. The only thing is, are we availing ourselves of it? The early church... They had a mission. It's in Acts 11, verses 19 through 26. And we have the same mission. The believer had and has a mission as a believer, as a child of God, and it is threefold. It is, if you want to make a mental note when you get home, read that. It's a wonderful passage. It's Acts 11, verses 19 through 26. It says, the mission of the church is this, to spread the gospel. And that means first by your life, The best Gospels are bound in shoe leather. It is souls which are red of their life to spread the Gospel, to nurture the believer, to build up one another, and to preserve the faith. And that mission of the Church has not changed from the beginning until this evening here in 1999. The early Church, as I read through I'll stop here just a moment. Most of the things which are available from the first 200 years, in fact, it goes on to about 313, are letters between elders or letters from elders or bishops, remember the word is synonymous, from elders to the government, explaining what they're doing, or to other churches. And as you read through those, you find three basic things which make up the foundation of the church. And first is this. A belief in the literal truth of the Word of God of the Bible. No doubt. And one of the early ones we'll refer to as an elder in Carthage, shortly around 200 AD, it is said by one who's a famous historian. I had a chance to visit with him. He said, this man had a saying, and it came up in about all the discussions they have amongst the church leaders. And you know what his saying was? It's something we should keep, every one of us we must not be wise above what is written. The first part of the foundation was a belief in the literal truth of the Bible, adding nothing to it, taking nothing away from it. Second, salvation was by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But ye are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, Notice the next phrase, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that you should walk in them. Sometimes the present day discussion about what is important, faith or works, was not known in the early church. That is a man's thought. The question is not, is it faith or is it works? It is a faith that works. Galatians 5:6, A faith which works by love, and thus it avails things. Even as to the common person, you can tell if I am alive, if I am breathing. You can tell if I have, if I have faith spiritually, if it is working and is being expressed and motivated by love. The third part was the identifying mark of the church. A, in this new life, eternal life, there was a Christ-like. Love in the church, a Christ like love. A man writing to the emperors, excuse me, that's incorrect, to the rulers of Rome, he said, Behold how they love one another. Each cares more for the other than themselves. Each would rather die that the other might live. Each cared more for the other than himself. Love never cares for itself, but love gives itself for the other even as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. The three things which made up the foundation of the early church and, dare I say it, the present-day church are a belief in the literal truth of the gospel. Don't put anything to it. Don't take anything away. Do not be wise above what is written. Second, there is no dichotomy. There is no struggle between faith and works. Works is the expression of a living faith. We are saved by grace through faith unto good works. And third, the church is known by a Christ-like love for one another. The early church was a separated church. It turned its back on. it's rejected everything the world had to offer. Honors, Riches, entertainment, it turned away from because it had found and this is again in the scripture, Matthew seven, thirteen and fourteen, that the straight gate and the narrow way was not anything restrictive, it was a wonderful freedom. And go home and read that when you get home, it doesn't say enter into the through the straight gate, even though it is hard. You know what it says? Because it is straight, enter in that way. It is the special reason because we are free, it is a wonderful freedom to be free from sin and selfishness and all of the things which cause all of us so much trouble and the things which often nowadays we think, I guess I have to do it, we kind of grudgingly, they said, and this is the joy, I am allowed to do this, to leave everything behind who lived this separated life and it was a persecuted life and the word persecuted means they had a lot of pressure to them it's pressure for life many of them many of them lost their life for Christ's sake in the gospel they were under that intense pressure but in this pressure they had a tremendous joy and we can too nowadays we call it in this country peer pressure and sometimes we think it's bad. That should really be an encouragement to us. If we live in such a way that people need to put pressure on us, you think, this is great. Acts, when the apostles were mistreated for Christ's sake, you know the phrase, and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Sometimes I'm kind of ashamed of myself, aren't you? They were ready to die, to be hurt. And sometimes we complain when we come to church and the thermostat is two degrees too high. They had a joy which put everything else in its proper place. The elder of the church at Smyrna, he had every chance in those days, to be a Christian was a dangerous thing. It still is now. Because we, if we are true Christians, we somewhat make people uncomfortable. There's nothing more to make people more uncomfortable than someone who, who loves without any bounds, who wants nothing but peace, who has lost himself for Christ's sake and the gospel. The elder of the church of Smyrna, he was an older man. His name was Polycarp. 86 years old, and they wanted to let him loose. If he would only say, I'll turn my back on Christ. And he refused. And in front of many people, they set him next to a stake. And they brought all the things around about him which would be flammable. And they raised a tie him to the stake. And you know what he said? Leave me as I am. The same one who will help me to endure the flame. give me the strength to remain motionless at the stake without being secured. And so he did, and he went with a joy." Another elder, where was he from? I should look at my note. Antioch, yes. His name was Ignatius. and the uh, Romans would like to let some of these people go. And they were taking him off to where he had need to give his life and some of the people wanted to make a delegation and go and talk to the rulers about it and he says, do not hinder me, do not hinder me. I give my life for Christ of my free choice. There was no complaining, they had a joy. They had the knowledge, the presence in their heart of something so much greater that anything the world could offer was of no avail. They had rejected. Listen to this word. I remember running across this word. It doesn't say they gave it up. They had rejected the world's honors, entertainment, and riches. And they had something much better. They had a joy. And they had a hope of a home in heaven. How about the separate life? Someone wrote a letter. It's the letter to Diagnetus. We don't know just for sure when it was written, probably around 100 AD, and he wrote a letter. And he's talking about the believers, and he said, that they live in these countries, but they live here as sojourners. They're just passing through. They're going someplace better. And this same one, Ignatius, he said, they said, let's find a place of refuge for you. And he says, I have my refuge in God. They were separate from the world. It meant nothing to them. Is it hard to understand? It was for me when I was reading it, but do you don't know then what came back to me? Next year in March, probably the 17th, will be 50 years since I was baptized. And I can look back, and you couldn't have offered me anything of the world's right then because I had escaped it. I wanted nothing to do with it. God was my refuge. Everything was just right. It was like the early church. It was like it was. I was finally, finally, finally free. And that's what's given to us today. Sometimes we say, oh, it would have been great to live then. But any one of us here tonight can live if we want to. Let's underline that in your mind. If we want to, we can live just like the early church in the true life, the inner life we need to have nothing to do with the world. You remember how it was? Those of us that have escaped, it was miserable. It was miserable. And we're finally free. Another man wrote, he says, uh, let us be humble-minded, my brothers, and get rid of, and get rid of all vanity, And conceit and foolishness and anger and let us do those things the scripture bids us to do they were free and they were joyful the straight and narrow way was just a wonderful way to live not a way they must live because that takes the joy out of it that puts it into a man working for hire it was the way that was open before them it was the more excellent way How did they deal with the government? Sometimes you get disappointed in the government. Then, the government would kill them. You know what they said? One of them wrote to the government. He said, We render worship to God alone. In all other things we gladly obey. Only praying, that power could be combined with wisdom and prudence. They paid their taxes. They obeyed all of the laws other than those which they couldn't, which would cause them to be wise above what is written. But they never struggled against the government. It was ordained of God. Don't it make us a little bit embarrassed sometimes to see how we complain about things here or there or in other countries? They lived a much freer life than we do, just because we don't choose the best life. Jesus, remember he said, get the fish, pay the tax. Romans, custom to whom custom is due, tribute to whom tribute, honor to, to whom honor. They lived at peace. Romans twelve eighteen, as much as layeth, lieth in them, they lived at peace with all men. The only thing they wouldn't transgress is the worship they needed to give to God and the honor. How did they serve in the army? Just like we believe we should and do. Another man wrote, he said, Jesus answered the question whether we should be combatants In the service at one point when he disarmed peter he said put up thy sword in the sheath he that takes the sword will perish with the sword and the question was answered for the believer throughout all mankind for the servant of god must not strive but be gentle to all men to all men see they were called to something much better than the ordinary they were called in a more excellent way. And we have this privilege, they, then they didn't have the chance of combatant, non-combatant. They just would not serve. But we have in this country, we have this wonderful freedom to serve as non-combatants. Serving on the mission committee, a little digression here. Uh, should have looked this up before it came, maybe three years ago. My wife and I went to Hungary for a dedication of a church at Ten Tengelich, south and a little west of Budapest. And there, one evening, we were with the local elder of the church there, and we were in the next room. And Someone read to us out of a book there. It is about a young person having faith in Christ, under a more bitter regime than they have at this time. And he was challenged you must serve as combatant, and he would not. He was a young man, and they said, you must. He said, I can't. He would not be wise of what is written. They said, well then, you're going to have to dig your grave, and he did. He dug his grave. They said, well, kneel down, and we're going to shoot you. And in this book, not written by one of our people, but a history book of the country of Hungary. And it says, and he kneeled down and began singing with a clear, calm voice Joyfully, joyfully, onward I go, bound for the land of bright spirits above. Angelic choristers welcome me home. You remember the song, it's in our songbook. And they gave the order to fire, and they didn't. And they gave it again, and they did. And in the history book, it said, and he fell into the grave. But that evening, as we sat there, several of us, we said, that's how limited men are. His body fell into the grave, but the rest of him went up. That is the free life. Not the life of being concerned about Peer pressure about how the government treats us, about being forced to serve or not serve, but a free life to do those things which are offered us to do. And the elder at Rome, he wrote to him about why the believers wouldn't swear with an oath, even if we believe we shouldn't now. And it says it like this: he says, They don't even swear. He was just explaining it to the government. They don't even swear, preferring to affirm by saying yes or deny by saying no. A simple, easy, joyful life. Divorce. A man rode a lion. I can't remember. From Alexandria. The elder of Alexandria wrote this about divorce and about marriage. He said, What God hath joined together, let not man separate. And those very words, with just a small change, are used in almost every wedding service now. Now we say, What God's joined together, let not man put asunder. They look upon marriage as for life, a permanent relationship, lest one would die. God would carry one home. It was permanent The thought in the church. There was no room to even think of one being unfaithful. And sometimes people will say, well maybe the times were different then. Do you know what history tells us about the time, the first 200 years? Divorce, abortion, unnatural affection was rampant. People even worship gods, the god of Bacchus, the god that where they come together and just drink till they were drunken. There were places where they worshiped God who just, other gods, who called for a degradation of the relationship between men and women. It was like it is now. But they had escaped that, just as we have. So we can't come with this excuse, which we often use, well, times were different. The basic instincts of men and women have not really changed since Cain was angry at Abel. People don't use knives and rocks. Now they use bombs, planes. But the basic instinct, it is there. And unless we are converted and remade and had this Christ-like love, we will never, we will never change. But we have been made free. They lived separate from the world. Sometimes they'll say, well, the world is going so fast now. It isn't. They had 24 hours in the day. We have 24 hours a day. People say, I am so busy. I must be at work. I must be doing these things. You remember one as a young lad said I must be about my father's business. We are called by Scripture to live a quiet and simple life like the early church. Like the early church. What do you think it would have been like if you went into one of the early churches? like we walked into the Tremont Church tonight. Well, it would have been a lot different about facilities, because it was almost 300 AD till they had a thing such as we call a church building. Till that time they worshipped outside or in homes. Sometimes they'd rent a little place, roam in the catacombs the, underneath the city. Some place where no one would see them because it was a dangerous thing to be a believer then but they worshiped the same God, but they worshiped in the spirit of holiness. And what did they believe? They believed that repentance, faith, and baptism were inseparably intertwined. They did not rush into baptism, even as we don't now. I was so encouraged to read that part of it. Elder at Carthage wrote, he said there were some special cases in scripture and in the early church where immediately they were baptized. And he was speaking of uh, Philip and the eunuch, or in the Philippi. But they waited. They waited. They gave time. And I wrote down this out of one of them. Believers, after faith in the word and they desire to live accordingly, are baptized in the name of God, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And they looked at it so seriously that both the baptizer, the elder, and they're also the baptism, even as in our faith today, and I hope I'm not putting across that I think our faith is the only one, or that we're better than anyone else. That's not the intention at all. We wanna stay with the scripture and with the facts but the baptizing was done by those who had a leadership position in the church. And both the one who would be baptized and the one who was baptizing would be spend time ahead of it in fasting and prayer. And I'm sure that Brother Dan or Brother Charles would say, on the Saturday evening, the Sunday before baptism, there's a lot of praying. There is a lot of praying. In fact, it was said, and this is coming from my memory and I hope I'm saying it correctly, they would rather wait a little longer and the baptism was more meaningful than to hurry and just have it done. I am so thankful I had the opportunity to read all of these things. It encourages me. It strengthened my faith. It taught me many things that you and I, if we desire, can live just like the early church did in the basic and most important things. Other things, our dress, our clothes, our accommodations will be different, but our true living is in the heart. Church authority. There really was a lot of emphasis on church authority. About submission. And not only to church authority. They had learned the wonderful joy and power and beauty in submission. Again, the scripture. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Out of reverence for Christ. Submission. It's a word the world is almost afraid of. People think it has something to do with value. It has nothing to do with value. It has to do with order. Nothing else but order. I just love the way our church has it, the ministers. We sat down on the bench with the brethren. We come up, we speak for a few moments. We go down and sit with the brethren. The only difference is a brother is upon his feet for a few moments. It is not a matter of value. It is a matter of Godly order. 1 Corinthians 14 40, if my memory's working. Do all things decently and in good order. And in the marriage relationship, wives submit yourselves to your own husband as unto the Lord. That is nothing to diminish you. It's something to exalt you. You remember? Submission. Remember what a mission is? Have a real purpose in life and a purpose with and under someone. Did you ever hear a brother get up in church and say, I will sing this song to you? No, he says, let us sing number 69, brotherly love. Did you ever hear anyone say, I will pray? You don't. We're one. We say, let us pray. Submission to church authority. They seen as a great value. When questions would arise, they would go quickly to those who had experience. When Polycarp life back to him, what did John say? What did John say the Lord said? Did you hear anything from Thomas or Simon? What, you know, what did they say when they talked about these things? And they would look at the scripture, basically the scripture, but what did they do when the apostles were here? And they taught submission to the church by sound teaching, not leaving the word, And right example. One who speaks from the pulpit or speaks to the family at home has a special responsibility not to say anything we do not do. It would be, you know, I seen a phrase in the song we sang, but I I thought to myself then I want to keep it, but I can't remember it right now. But her life should be all of one piece, When our children were young at home, I told them, do not say anything at the table. You don't want to write on an index card and I'll read it from the pulpit next Sunday. The life at home and at work should be no different than the life at church. And this is not to restrict our life again. This is you can have a joyful life. Isn't it dumb? I'm gonna digress a moment here again that sometimes we will gossip about people. You wouldn't want that read from the pulpit. You don't feel good when you do it. It is not submission to the Word of God. It is not in submission to the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And when we're a little greedy at times, I don't say dishonest, but just a little greedy, is that spreading the gospel? It is not. Submission to church authority. And when you and I can, by God's grace, exercise this submission. And I am submissive to you, and you to me, and all of us to Jesus Christ. There's a power, there is a power there. The world cannot gainsay or withstand. That's why young men in Hungary needed to be killed, because it is so dangerous It is a gospel known and read of all men how about let's talk about modesty a little bit in the early church should we or about uh, oh I'll explain to you a little bit you probably all remember this from school the circus then was a place where men went and women but it wasn't like a circus is now where you go and see wild animals, there for a circus, they go and take the Christians and jail people and throw them in and the lions would kill them. And a the circus was a place where people would fight one with another, one with a sword and one with a large net and fight under the death. And the theater, the theater then was much like Hollywood is now, with no shame. Degrading The beauty of women in stealing the honor from men and a man wrote this how can it be right to look at something it is wrong to do and i read that that is the answer to many of the things which we struggle with today how is it right to look at something it is wrong to do How is it right to listen to something which is wrong to say? And why do we, living now, often burden ourselves and lose the joy of the separated life and the persecuted life, the real joy, by seeing and hearing things which are wrong to do? Sometimes when you read those things, it just is like a light shining in the window. You and I should not look at anything we'd be ashamed to do. We should listen to nothing. Which would be wrong to say. My father was put in the ministry many years ago down in Taylor. Only went to the fourth grade. He thought, I can't preach. He told brother Noah Schrock who put him in he says you know I don't have any education didn't work with brother Noah he said still we don't need men's wisdom and he gave him a little book and I read in that recently about Proverbs twenty-six twenty. this is about talk where there is no wood the fire goeth out and where there is no tail bearer, the strife ceaseth and then there was this sentence under it He that carries a story, and he that receives it, are equally guilty. Because the one allowed himself to listen for something, he wouldn't say. And because we're human, I'm just speaking about this for a moment, because we're human we have to help each other so much. In fact, my wife and I do this at home. I say to her, if you hear me saying something, complaining, stop me. Something I shouldn't say, stop me, I need help. And we should have amongst ourselves as brothers and sisters, we should have this love for one another, that if I would start telling you some gossip, you'd just tell me, Dave, I just don't wanna hear this. It'll hurt you and me both. We need to help each other. How about discipline, church discipline? they practiced church discipline. Why? First, of course, because it is in the Bible. And they would go no further, or stay no ways away from it. They would do what the scripture taught. And they believed there were some times when someone would commit an infraction, a serious sin, whereby man, it is impossible to fully restore them to fellowship, but they didn't enter into God's part. But there were some very few, extremely serious sins where they were not fully restored to membership in the visible Church of Christ. They did not enter into God's part, the mystical body of Christ. And the statement was made by one, when someone wanted to be a little bit different than scripture, he said, we cannot fully restore. We would be denying this one, the charity of God. They looked upon discipline as a gift of love from God, even as discipline to a children. We do not discipline them to punish or hurt them, but because we love them and help them, and not for our profit, but for theirs. Discipline, if you look up the word in a good dictionary, you'll find it is instruction for disciples. That is exactly how it is practiced as instruction for disciples. That the church can be instructed and cleansed in the holiness, that the erring soul has a path back as far as men can see and is a warning to all of us because we are forgetful. 1882, there's a man landed in uh, this country, had a big family. Came the East Period. What a little farm. Had a big family, quite a few children. Some of you here may know who I'm speaking of now. He came from Germany. And uh, his neighbor, when he got settled in, said, where do you go to church? He said, well, I just got here. and haven't went to church yet here. And he said, well, why don't you come with me? And the man who invited him was a minister in the Abstar Christian Church in Peoria the man who was invited was my grandfather and the grandfather to many of you who go to church here this neighbor spread the gospel he didn't preach a long sermon he said why don't you come to church with me and we believe in our family that when he came into the church and seen it He said, this is kind of like the Bible says church should be. Went to Bluffton for a testimony. There's a man, many years, a lot of experience. He said, when I came into the church, I felt I should kneel down and pray. I was in a holy place. That is like the early church that is like our church today. And that is the way it should be for every one of us. Not that any of us are proud or boastful at all. And if we do not fully grasp this and wish it was so, it's there. It's there for anyone who really wants it. To live a separated life, a persecuted life. And in the separation of and in the persecution, a joyful life. That was the keynote, the great joy in them. And people could hardly understand that they were being killed and they were just joyful because they were sure of a home in heaven. One final thought, seems to be a fairly large topic in our life today is how did they look at traditions? Church practices. Other than that which is doctrine, which is written in the scripture, just other things which affect our appearance and our activities and our attitude, how they look at them. Well, once again, they were not wise above what is written. And the question, I'm from Champaign, I think that Brother Charles said when he introduced me, and there's a lot of students there, and often over the 40 years, people come and say, "Well." What do you think about traditions? And my answer is, I like to talk about traditions, but that's the wrong question. It doesn't make a difference what I think of them. What does God think of traditions? And God answered the questions in one verse, Second Second Thessalonians 2:15. God said, "Stand fast and hold traditions. It's a treasure given to you, something to keep." Which traditions? And in the same verse, the question is answered which you have been taught whether by word or epistle and traditions are not a burden acts 15:28. they are these necessary things to make life easy and simple and orderly for us in the early church many of the people were slaves some had been thieves in fact honesty was so scarce you young people from school you remember the story of diogenes the man walking around with the lantern. and they said what are you looking for at night He said, an honest man, you almost think they're living in our day and all of a sudden, how am I gonna live this new life? And so they had traditions, things they did that they worked together and made life simple and easy, no burden, no burden, necessary things. The scripture gives us four tests This is not a church stand. This is the way I look at it. Four tests of traditions. Are they the right ones and are they valuable? First, does it agree with Scripture? Mark 7. If it is in the Scripture, it is a doctrine, not a tradition. Does it agree with Scripture? Does it agree with the Holy Spirit? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit unto us. Three, is it taught by those who have the oversight of the church? 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13. Know them who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you? Is it taught by the elders of the church? And fourth, does it bear good fruit when you practice it? I am convinced that any one of us can take any church tradition and give it those four tests and you'll say, it agrees with the scripture. It agrees with the Holy Spirit. It is taught by those who have the oversight of the church. And when I practice it, it bears good fruit. The early church, you like to think with me that our church, the apostolic Christian church, was it just last year we celebrated 150 years. This is an early church. This is an early church. Let's live as an early church. Close to Christ. Separated from the world. Persecuted and joyful. It's the more excellent way. It's Christ's way.
0: truly is a blessing to hear about our forefathers, their wisdom, and how it was founded on the word. Let's sing hymn number 69. We do have a more excellent way and a joy that really can be full when we serve the Lord. Hymn number 69. Let's sing all four verses, please. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> To one of our brothers now to lead us in clothing prayer.
2: Dear Father in heaven, it was truly a privilege and a joy, dear Lord, in this evening to be together. And dear Lord, we have been instructed how we should live, the more excellent way, the way of freedom, dear Lord a simple way, and for this, dear Lord, we are so thankful that the thou has laid out a way that we can walk here on this earth, that we would not be entangled with all the things of this world, but we could be free, dear Lord, from the things of this world, free to serve thee and to love one another. It has been expounded unto us, dear Lord, with love. Love for us as Thou didst love us. We could feel the brother's love, dear Lord, for us. And we and for thee, and we just pray, dear Lord, that we can now go on and remembering the things that have been said, and dear Lord, we know that we should now do, dear Lord, the things we have been instructed to do, they have all been from thy word, and we are so thankful for this, dear Lord, that we can have thy word to fall back upon. We do not have to, dear Lord, depend on our own wisdom, but we can look unto the unto the word. From there we get our wisdom, and we pray, dear Lord, that Thou would forgive us where for we do forget, and do become so entangled with the things of this world. And, dear Lord, we lose our faith. We don't. A lot of times we do not believe that Thou can provide. We know we must provide for our own, but we pray that we would not do more, dear Lord, than what Thou dost direct us. Help us to know Thy will. We pray, dear Lord. We are so thankful most of all, dear Lord Jesus, for thy death and suffering on the cross. Thou didst give thy all for us, and for this we can never thank thee enough. But we know we can give our whole life, dear Lord, unto thee and in thy service. And we pray, dear Lord, that we could be a good light and example, that we could spread the gospel, the good news, dear Lord, that many yet could come. We are thankful, dear Lord, that even in the past weeks, thou hast called those in our congregation. And, dear Lord, we pray that many more yet could come while the waters are still being stirred, that many could step in and, dear Lord, experience this forgiveness of sins and the burden of sin could be lifted and rolled away. We pray, dear Lord, help those who have started upon this way that they could turn their back on this world and the things Satan has offered them. And that they could go, dear Lord, hand in hand with Thee, not looking back. We pray, dear Lord, be with the sick, suffering. Those who have lost loved ones, dear Lord, even in our community, there's been those who have lost loved ones, and we pray that Thou would be near unto each one. We pray that Thou would be present there. We know that we as men can do so much, and then it's up to Thee. Even in the quiet of their own home, they can... Look to thee as their friend And their companion and their comforter So we pray that each one Dear Lord who has Sorrow or sickness Could look unto thee And could call thee dear Lord Their savior and dear Father thy father in heaven So we pray dear Lord Go with us now bless the brother Who has come came who came And give him himself On our behalf we pray that thou would Bless him and his family And bless us all together, dear Lord, that we could go now remembering the things that have been said. That we could love one another. That we could serve thee. That we could be good lights and examples. That the church could grow in love and in zeal toward thee and many more yet could come. So we pray, forgive us, guide us, direct us, and keep us in this night. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.